Hey, what's up, you guys? Welcome back to Gabin with Gab, and this is episode nine, titled "What the Funk." <laughs> um, and today we are going to be talking about funk and other styles under the term funk, and what those styles were, and how revolutionary they were. Um, so, just some background on funk is that uh, it is not one style, but rather an umbrella term. Uh, that had popping, locking, and boogaloo, which all emerged basically around the same time. So they had gotten clumped together and put under this term funk. Um, But these dances gained mainstream popularity after the electric boogaloos had performed on Soul Train. Um, But these styles were often danced to funk music, which funk music was basically deep drum strokes, um, heavy electric bass lines, and repetitive chords. Um, just to go into more depth on these specific dances that were under the terms funk, uh, popping and locking both originated on the West Coast. Locking was created by Don Campbell, who was a club dancer with no formal training, and it had developed in the 1960s in LA. And this was because he simply could not do the funky chicken, and he had trouble with um, having that mobility um, without stopping. So he then began incorporating these locks in his normal routines, and then audience would would be laughing at um, him at certain points and pauses, but these became the foundation of locking. This spread from LA's inner city to the suburbs and then basically stretched out to all of California. Campbell had started the Campbell Lock Dancers, um, which would later be known as the Lockers in 1973. And they were basically performing in the club scene. And then popping had started in Fresno, California, where Boogaloo Sam Solomon had began experimenting with a new style basically um, in the 1975, in 1975, sorry. Um, And this was inspired by the jerk and twist and Sam would isolate and tense these muscles throughout his whole body. And his brother Timothy, who was also known as Timothy Pop and Pete Solomon, had caught on quickly to this style. Um, and they would both do the style, which you flex your muscles, like all of your muscles to the rhythm of the music. And this would be like your head, your neck, your hands, your arms, really anything. And it was very intricate with the body like moving. Um, they both had formed a locking troupe called the Electronic Boogaloo Lockers in 1977. Then they relocated to Long Beach in 1978 and changed their name to the Electric Boogaloos. Poppin' and locking don't have much in common, and the two styles differ in the movement vocabulary and its tone, which most people don't know because we often hear popping and locking referred to as the same exact style. Um, But popping is more grounded, sharp, and smooth. uh, And this is seen as more hypnotizing. And locking is more of a playful type dance with a character um, plays an important role. And the difference also is locking isn't a battle dance. It's more of a party dance. It's more uplifting um, getting in the groove, like hyping people up, you know, that kind of stuff. 
So lockers would wear these colorful clothing, um, different kinds of striped socks, suspenders, or pizza hats, which is really funny. Uh, and that kind of set them apart from popping. And then popping is basically your whole body moving nonstop. And locking, you are freezing. So uh, you would freeze into a pose and maybe I could take a picture. And that was the difference. With the popping, you're like continuously moving. People thought popping was a descendant of locking. And that's why they're basically referred to as the same style. Um, but yeah, that's basically a little background of popping and locking. Now going on to part two of this podcast, and this was on one of the readings that we had for class, basically giving more uh, background information on this on these styles as well as incorporating another style that uh, is not very heard of as much as popping and locking. So um, in this reading, it did talk about basically uh, circle formations first where it said uh, the circle of dance is mobile and can form in multiple situations and environments. Um, But dancing in a circle is to engage in basically a performative and discursive process and then to see which people transform basically chaos into order. And this is seen as an opportunity for discussion and interaction between uh, basically these different areas of life. And the author uses a metaphor that this is a direct quote from the reading is I will use the metaphor of the circle to link fighting and dancing, the worldly and the otherworldly, the underground and the mainstream, spirituality and commercialism. Circle is a way for hip hop dancers to assert their wholeness. And this is why we see the circle in basically all, not all, but most hip hop styles. Um, or we can refer to it as like the cipher is what I'm more familiar with because of my professor. Um, but this is basically a way to build a world within a world is what they had said in the reading. So now we get into the style of crumping and crumping is basically competitive and spiritual. Um, and this can also be called the ring. But at religious gatherings, African-Americans referred to it as basically the invisible church where the ring shout was performed. Um, But crumping was a phenomenon and basically an experience between all these different spheres of society. Um, And crumping and the varying spatial contexts of competitive battles, spiritual practice, and commercial media basically overlapped... um, into like the community culture and it has taken on very different meanings um but yeah it it basically represents a lot of different things to different people um but yeah this reading also discussed breakdancing again which i had discussed breakdancing in my last episode um but yeah so wrapping this up and moving forward um So there was Rodney King riots in 1992, and this is when Thomas Johnson, the founder of 
clown dancing, was in jail and looking for a positive thing to do uh, to keep him out of jail and to keep him, you know, out of trouble. And this is when he started basically putting on this clown suit and going to kids' parties with this colorful wig and face paint, which sounds really creepy, but it wasn't as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> um, and he had combined local styles of G-dance, gangsta boogie, and stripper dancing, which is referred to the sexual and dynamic reform style of black strippers. But the difference is crumping is more aggressive and competitive. And during this class, we had actually watched a documentary called Rise by David LaChapelle, um, capturing Thomas Johnson's life, basically, um, and what he created. So his painted face was basically used as a weapon. Um, and the play masks the seriousness and the sacredness behind the playfulness, um, which is really deep if you think about it. Um, that it can be both this tragic thing, but also comedic at the same time. They also refer to this as like improvisational and orderly, and it can be everywhere and nowhere. Clowning had expanded into harder and more aggressive and personal solos, um, which is where crumping kind of blended through. Uh, and this allowed dancers to confront and work through their difficult emotions and of pain and anger. Play became more serious and face paint, face paint became more tribal and warrior-like. Hip hop culture was constantly being under attack. So crumping was developed and flourished within this atmosphere of constraint and surveillance and brutality. Um, I know that in the readings, it, it did mention stuff about, basically there's a stereotype that black people are, are you know, good at sports or black people are criminals is essentially what um, these stereotypes are. And this basically gave an outlet to people who didn't fit into the stereotype of uh, sports or didn't want to do anything crime related you know they wanted to just have a positive environment and to have more of an uplifting space where they could have a community and family and that's what crumping was um but yeah crumping is basically danced to hardcore beats it's like heavy hip-hop tracks um and sometimes there's no vocals in that but crump dancers would form these things called like crews, which are basically like other families uh, who you would share your loyalty with. So you would have uh, your big homie and then your big homie is like your leader and that is the person that's gonna train you throughout dance and your life. Um, so you have this tight knit community that looks out for you and is very loyal and protects you and gives you a positive atmosphere that you may not get in your home life. And that's what this crumping was. It was kind of this revolutionary style to bring this outlet of your anger and your, you know, fear and everything and turn it into something positive and releasing all of that. Um, 
but this essentially this documentary was bringing mainstream awareness to the stance form and movement, um, which I think is really good because I think that crumping can get really lost, especially in like the media, because prior to this documentary, I had no idea that crumping was what it was. Um, you know, I had seen it and <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I said this, but I had seen it and, you know, bring it on. And that was definitely not an accurate representation. And, you know, I've seen this in maybe the step up movies and I've seen this in maybe like other movies and commercials and it doesn't truly encapsulate what crumping was or the history of crumping or the purpose of crumping. And it's so sad to see this style lost in other styles because I think it holds a huge, holds a huge importance, especially with the cultural background of it. Um, so just finding that distinguishing factor between like crumping and locking and popping and kind of referring to these as their own styles instead of just the same thing. Um, yeah, I just want to give credit where credit is due and not just put everything under this big umbrella, although it is okay to put things under, you know, say like these are all under the hip hop umbrella, but um, just knowing how to differentiate these and educate yourselves on these different styles so that maybe we could change the way society looks at this and continue to educate people so that people can be more aware of these styles um, from years on. And I hope to do the same for my dancers if I ever were to educate them on these styles because um, although I'm not fully educated as some people, I would like to know more about this, all of these different styles um, and bring more awareness to them. But yeah, thanks for tuning in to this episode and stay tuned for episode 10. This will be the last one, sadly, and I think my podcast career will probably come to an end after that. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening, guys.